Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the second episode of Blaster Cannon brought to you by denofgeek.com. I am with Megan. Hello. And Seth. Hello. Hello. Yes, and thank you so much for everyone for listening to the show. Our first episode we released a couple weeks ago. Um, your support was much, much appreciated. Uh, I, I, I seriously was so flattered by everyone's nice things they were saying to us. So, yeah, did you guys have anything to say about that? It was a great response. I mean, thanks to all the people that followed us over here from Twitter. Yes. I love everyone. Yes, yes. Every, everyone was <laughs> was awesome. So thanks thanks again. And we're going to bring you plenty of awesome conversation. And I mean awesome because we're all awesome. Um, awesome conversation <laughs> about Star Wars. And today is – man, we have a lot to talk about. This is ridiculous. Um, so last Thursday, we got hit with a big trailer. The Rogue One trailer – or is it a teaser? Is this a teaser or a trailer? This is officially called a teaser trailer. So, <laughs> so it's a teaser. Very so, helpful. It is a first? teaser, but it has a like it has a lot in it. So, yes. I would call this a trailer technically. It, it it seemed it's funny people were comparing it to the episode 7 teaser we got in November of 2014 and I I think that this was way longer than that teaser from November, you know, and I don't know, it, it's, it definitely gave you way more what was going on. It felt like a long trailer, even though it, I know it was it's shorter by a little bit, it felt longer. We got way more story. So yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I was kind of surprised at how much they showed us to be honest. Yeah. That's part of why I feel like this is, I would call this a trailer. It shows us who the main characters are. It's got a clear direction. We don't exactly know plot, but we know more plot than we knew from the first TFA teaser. Yeah, no, I disagree with what both of you are saying. I don't know. This whole teaser trailer thing is just very confusing to yes. me. I just like watching them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't blame you. No, it's it's something that I think that it's we all we fans will argue about. Like, was it a teaser or the trailer? It is. It's ridiculous. I'm not gonna lie. It's it's a little over the top. And and but at the same time, trailers are meant to kind of give you. It, by definition, right? Trailers supposed to gonna give you like a an example of what's going on. A teaser is a teaser, like tease you. But it seemed like we got a lot of story elements, which we're not used to getting these in Star Wars uh, trailers or teasers or whatever you want to call it, right? I mean, they actually gave us what the what the movie's about, which is about the Death Star, about you know getting these plans, which I was not, which everyone knew was going to happen. We all knew that was what it was going to be about, but. We actually got like the protagonist's main name, which right now with the whole Ray fiasco, we don't know anything. So it's kind of alarming that they hit us right right away with the name. Did that surprise you guys too? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That she has a last name. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, sort of significant. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's significant in the way that we know she's not a Skywalker. <laughs> or do we? <laughs> <laughs> Don't even stop. Oh, man. That does sound like the name of someone that was just making up a name. She was, <laughs> she was in trouble, right? So she's – someone asks her who she is and she says, Jin, or – so, and then just they go with it. Is it so? Is, is her name, name Jin Arasa? What is it? Is it Jin Ar- Ursa? It's it's E R S O, right? Jin Ursa. This isn't the accent. Yeah, her accent gets me all confused. So that's uh, played by Felicity Jones, the the beautiful Felicity Jones, and she's obviously in Yavin Base. And I don't know about you guys. Was that something that really pumped you up? Was that because that that didn't really? I'm not a huge Yavin fan, so and I didn't, I didn't even think about it until somebody pointed it out later on. I was like, oh yeah, that would be Yavin. I am a big Yavin fan. I love the design of the temples there. I love the way that the actual planet Yavin has been described in the expanded universe. But that base, like, didn't scream Yavin to me. It's it maybe because the um, Dakar base. From the Force Awakens looks very similar. Like the uh, the good guys seem to have their underground or their like rock bases with vines and trees and stuff in them. So I didn't. It didn't like scream Yavin to me, but I think that it's cool that it is because I liked. I always liked the EU stuff around the Jedi Academy at Yavin and things like that. I I did too like the Jedi Academy on Yavin. That was a nice little touch. Also, Exar Kanu came from Yavin Four, but that's a whole other uh, whole other story. Um, still canon, not yeah. still canon not, at all. Not still canon, but it should be. But that's a whole other story. Um, so we we get we're, we get hit with um, you know all this stuff, and I, I want to say when I first knew the trailer was coming out, I woke up in the morning, and um, obviously we, we got we told it was going to come out the day before, and I got up and I thought for some reason in my silly mind that I could get up and it would be still not released. And I go on Twitter and I just see screen grabs immediately. Were were any of you like spoiled by this? I did see it on Twitter before I saw it myself. And I don't know that I'd call that spoiled, but I'm not, I don't mind about spoilers for this one because (laughs) we kind of know to a degree how it's going to end. So yeah, I saw pictures before I saw the trailer, but I didn't mind. Staff. And they came I, out with that little teaser the night before as well, yeah. so I'd seen that also. I didn't see anything on Twitter, but that's because I woke up because I it came out at like twelve a.m. or one a.m. here or something, which normally is fine. But I was really tired that night, and I hit about eleven p.m. and I was like, "Nah, I'm going to sleep. I'll watch it in the morning. It's fine." Um, and so I woke up at like four or five a.m. because I needed a drink, and. Instead of getting a drink, the first thing I did when I woke up, I was like, oh, my God, I need to watch the Rogue One trailer like, right now. Um, and so that was the first thing I did. So I didn't do anything else. The moment I woke up, I just grabbed my phone and watched the trailer because I wanted to see it that bad. Um, and then I went on Twitter and said, saw everyone talking about it. And I also didn't sleep for like another hour because I was just so excited about stuff. That's awesome. Well, it's, it's funny because <laughs> I, I, I thought um, they hadn't released it yet. So, see, Megan, you're three hours ahead of me. Saf, I can't keep track of your timeline at all, but <laughs> um, but I'm like, so I woke up at like 6.30 
And that's always the first thing I do is seeing what was announced on Twitter or whatever. And I go on there and I see pictures of Mon Mothma and I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. No, stop. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the trailer without seeing screen grabs. And, I, and it's no one's fault. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of fact, you know, it's kind of what happens and I can't find the trailer. So I keep, I'm like trying to skip I'm like, no, don't, don't look at this. No, no. Um, but speaking of Mon Mothma, that was what really I, – I hate – I don't want – I'm not embarrassed by this, but I'm, I'm really pumped up by the fact that we get Mon Mothma in this movie. Are you guys pumped? Yeah. Yeah, me yeah. too. And I, I'm more excited about it the more I think about it. Because I know. Like, I, I don't – we don't know a ton about her, but she's cool and I'm – I'm ready to see what they do with her. I don't. I wonder what kind of the hook for her will be. Like, what's there going to be to her characterization beyond that she's a rebel leader? And does there need to be more beyond her beyond that? Yeah, it was weird when she's talking and she's kind of and she's kind of given she's given reverence by everyone. Like she's in the light, obviously around that radar or whatever kind of thing that's called. And uh, and you have the other guys. People are in the kind of the shadows, right? So obviously giving her the feeling of importance. So, I mean, for, for casual fans, they're all automatically going to know that this, this lady means business. She's kind of a head honcho in this rebellion. What I think is interesting, what they've been doing with canon, with like the comics and the books, is they're setting up that Mon Mothma is a very important character. And the fact that she's the one giving Jen Urso her, her orders is a big deal. And I love the synergy we're having in this timeline. Cause I mean, and one thing I can say about the comic books and the books and, and most of the comic books I could say is that we're kind of stuck for the most part in the, a new hope era, like post new hope, right. Between empire. And the one thing that I'm kind of seeing now is that they're just, there's all the synergy between um, the comic books and the movies now and the books that Mon Mothma is like the head honcho. Like whereas before, you got she was an important leader. It seems like now that she is the leader because Admiral Akbar calls her Chancellor Mothma, I think, in the Star Wars comic books. So when she's talking to Jen Erso, I imagine I, I'm wondering if they're going to re- reference her as Chancellor. So I don't know about you guys. I, I love this. The fact that we're, we're getting this and they're being very consistent about it. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious I'm to see that. where they go with her. Oh, go ahead, Zach. Um, I liked her in the moving target young reader novel, um, the Leia one, because she kind of has a bit more characterization there as well, that she talks to Leia, not just as a rebel leader, but kind of as someone who's watched Leia grow up and as kind of a mother figure somewhat. Like she talks to her about Han and about her life a little bit, like not much, but you still kind of get little glimpses into her characterization. Like she genuinely cares about people a lot. And I know a lot of people from like, I haven't read many books with her from, um, the old EU, but a lot of people said that she's like kind of the naggy aunt or something. Like she's not a great character. <laughs> I don't know. Aunt. Like, cause I haven't read it myself, <laughs> but I'm liking that this new canon is like bringing her as like a really interesting, nice, not nice, nice, but like, you know, like she's a strong character with three dimensional characterization and that she's coming to this movie is just really exciting. Yeah. I, I was, I was shocked. I'll be honest. And I think, 
I think we all can agree that this lady looks exactly like Mon Mothma from like Return of the Jedi. I know she's the same actress who played Mon Mothma in the deleted scenes of Revenge of the Sith, but I literally tweeted out that, man, Lucasfilm is so cutting edge. They got a time machine and brought back the original actress because that's what she looked like. She looked exactly like the younger version of the original actress. It was insane. So... Uh, yeah, I, I thought that was a really rad touch um, that they added this. So we get uh, tons of shots of Jin Erso kicking stormtroopers' butts. Like, very, very cool. Like, I thought that, that just a few action scenes we got with her were really interesting. And it's in the espionage kind of feel um, in this film. I'm, I got me really jazzed up. I was never not excited for Star Wars movie. Like Rogue One is just, I'm excited because it's Star Wars. But just seeing her in action and the espionage idea of the film, it got me really excited. So I actually have become less interested in this the more I think about it. And that kind of makes me sad. I think there's a couple of reasons. I'm still not attached to Jin Erso too much. And I think I'm not attached to her because she's introduced as basically a criminal, like someone who is a little bit on the edge of the law. I mean, the, she says she was um, 15 years old when she was abandoned or whatever. So we've got the dead parent story, maybe, which is not like I can't really critique her alone for that because so many characters have that. Ezra has that. Um but I, I'm just not attached to her yet. And something seems off. The scene where she's on the train and it's like a really close up on her face. Um, something about it just it, it doesn't feel like that scene. It doesn't feel like a Star Wars scene mm. to me. And nor does it, it. It's one shot. Like you can't say much about it from that one shot. But it, because like in the prequels, for example, there are scenes of um, inside vehicles and you usually get wide shots and they tend to in Star Wars have that like documentary style where if it's talking two people talking, it's the talking heads where you see both of them. And I don't know that one scene where Jen is like framed against the window was a little too modern and a little mm. too um clean for me this is a very it's a gritty i I called it muddy uh before it's a muddy movie but i don't quite see the personality in the directing yet and that's all with the caveat that it's a you know less than two minute trailer i don't know but i'm teaser yes (laughs) it's a promotional material um (laughs) so (laughs) i uh i don't know i'm not I don't think it's going to be a bad movie. I think it's going to be a fine movie, but there's nothing that I've seen to elevate it above fine yet, personally. Well, we we all know how biased I am about, like, ladies leading movies in general. Like, I don't mean that I'll love every movie that does that, but (laughs) I will be more more interested about it than, like, you know, like a typical dude, rebel, whatever, in a movie. Um, (laughs) The fact that Star Wars also helps, but I do really like science fiction military. Like, that's my favorite genre. And we don't get too many movies in that genre. And I'm not sure how much this will actually tend into, like, the whole military side because it seems to have a different tone than, like, the concept art we saw originally and what they've talked about. Um, but I like the look of Jen because I like morally ambiguous characters mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And she seems to kind of fall under that. Like, we get the shot of her at the end when she's in, like, the TIE fighter kind of gear. And so you're like, is she evil? Is she just playing the bad guys? Like, what's happening? Kind That's of a thing. great shot. Um, 
it is a great shot and I love it and mm. I love the look of her because of that. But I do also wish that they had a bit more diversity with the female characters yeah. in Star Wars because they're all very white, brown haired, pretty. They could they all look very similar. Um and so I do love her already because she seems like she'll be a really exciting character, like a kind of different character than what we've seen before because we've had kind of scrappy characters, but they like Ray can be kind of scrappy at times, but she's yeah. also really, really kind and endearing. And Jin doesn't seem to have that same thing. So she will be a new character in the movies that we haven't really seen before, but also she, she, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but I, I am excited. I'm really excited for this movie and seeing the trailer got me more excited mm-hmm. and I want to see like more about it. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because I, I know Pablo Hidalgo debunked, Jen Erso as being uh, what she was affectionately being called Sky Mom by some people I, I saw. Was <laughs> uh, she? Yeah. And, and, and it upset a number of people who are hardcore Ray Skywalker supporters, which I say rock on, man. And I, I, I don't know, it bummed me out when he kind of just debunked that because some of the, someone I follow posted like a side by side of, of Jenner, of a uh, Jenner and Ray, like, or I should say uh, Felicity Jones and Daisy Ridley, like glamor shots, almost like, like runway shots, like their faces, like back to back. And they look like, ex- very, like almost like eerily similar. See, the problem there is that you could do that with almost any woman in Hollywood and it would work. Like it's easy. The problem is it's easy to do that when you have a character cast. You're like, oh, they're both brunette. They're both white. They're both very pretty. They're very similar looking. It's because all the women are similar looking in Hollywood if they're white. Like generally they will cast characters of that kind, which is why like even if Rey isn't a Skywalker, it's why she looks so similar to Leia and why she looks so similar to Padme is because that look is what is cast. And that's also why, like, I I don't think Felicity um, Jin will be Ray's mother. Whether or not Pablo says it, like, I believe him as well. But because, <laughs> like, she's a 30-year-old woman, right? She's 30-something years old. And yeah. she could easily be playing, like, a, a 20-something-year-old character because they always play younger characters anyways. But she's still quite a bit older than Luke. And so I'm still like, that's kind of no. a little bit weird. No way. Is, no like, way. It, wait, hold on a second. At that point, he's like, what? Let's just assume she's 27, right? Yeah. And let's say Luke's 19 because at that time, because it's probably right before. No, I'm saying if she is, if she is in her 30s, like she is in real life, which she may not be because, you know, they don't tend to cast characters older like that. They tend right. to cast them younger. Um, but like if she is their age, then that's why I don't like I don't, then she'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. Hold on. I'm going to blow your mind, Seth. Think, yeah. I'm going to give you one example where it would work. Anakin and Padme. She's only like five years older than him. No, she's like eight years older than he is. He's nine and she's 12 or 14. She's like 15, 16 years old. No, she's not. She's at at most 14. Is she for? We need to have. Yeah, yeah Padme is supposed to be 14 in uh, Phantom Menace. Or yeah. she was. She was, Or was it she was made queen when she was 14? Yeah, See? that age gap. That age gap. Looked weird and God, I, but, in but that's pretty close. It, what's it, like, like I said, let's assume she's playing someone in her mid to late twenties, and Luke right there. Not that much difference. Just wanted to say. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean more <laughs> the way that Hollywood doesn't. I know, to, you know, like I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also, I, I don't know. Like she could easily be Ray's mother. Like it's a thing that could happen, but also I don't want it to happen because I don't, I don't want Star Wars to be that 
that's my I want these analog movies, analog movies, that's the wrong word, anthology movies to stand out and not be, like, if that happens, then this movie will just forever be Ray's mother's, like, origin movie, as opposed to being, you know, Jen Erso's movie. That, that's a great point. And I think that's the best argument against her being a sky bomb, if you will, um, because you're right. We we want it. We don't want this everything to be in a vacuum. We want to have the vast, expansive universe. That's the whole point of making these films in the first place is to get away from the Skywalker lineage. So um, I'm with you on that. Like I, I I'm not. I never was like sold on the whole Sky Mom thing. I think it'd be cool. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I'm not like dead set on it. Um, yeah. But yeah. And uh, like, if people want to like believe in it, like. You do you, buddies, because yeah, that yeah. is cool. Like, yeah, I yeah. love fan theories like that. They're so much fun. Like, personally, I just wanted to go off and be, you know, like an old lesbian in the galaxy or something. <laughs> <at> some <point>. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't think that Jen is related to Ray, but I think I think that mostly because I want there to be new characters in these movies that don't necessarily have anything to do with the saga. And yes, I mean, either way, that means Jin could die at the end of this movie, which I do not think should happen. But giving her, just making her someone else um, makes her more unique. What I don't want to happen is for for it never to be established. Like I want to yeah. know for sure whether or not she's related to Ray. Although then we get into the question of like, so are you related until proven unrelated? <laughs> like, there's a lot of talk about this in the fandom right now. <laughs> Basically, I don't think she is, but no, and, and I want to know. It, or rather not like, it would be weird to go out of the way to establish her as not Ray's mother because, like, having a film, like, you want to stand alone in the way that, like, she's yeah. the character that has a thing. That hopefully she doesn't die by the end of the movie. Yeah. That is the hope. Um, but then, like, and then even if they left it open-ended in the way that, like, it's just a normal movie and she's a character that just has her story within the movie, everyone will still be like, oh, she could still be Ray's mother. But then to go out of the way to be like, there's no way to clearly do that in the movie without, like, making it obvious what they're doing, I guess. I don't know. Like, maybe in episode eight, they will reveal who Ray's mother is. Or maybe she doesn't have parents and she is just a reincarnated Anakin Skywalker or something. <sighs> just make um, her Luke's like, kid. Just for the love of God. <laughs> just make her Luke's kid. Let's make it, my life I, I so much easier. To the story being over so we can just get, like, move on to the next mystery. No, no, exactly. That's a whole other story, which we'll, I want to talk about eventually on the show. Um, but really quick, to wrap up, I want to, I want to cover a few more things. Um, so... It didn't show us like a ton of stuff. We kind of talked about a lot of it. Give me your favorite shot of the or kind of part of the teaser. Mine was probably with Donnie Yen's character walking out like as a blind person and then kicking the crap out of uh, stormtroopers. That was pretty amazing. Yes, Donnie Yen messing up somebody's day was my favorite part. <laughs> oh, so like mine, excellent, Saf. It's. Not my favorite part, but I do love it. Also in part because, you know, disabled main characters in Star Wars is very exciting to me. Um, <laughs> my favorite shot was definitely, like, the last one with, um, with Jin, yeah. Jin or, or, like, the lights and, like, in the TIE Fighter outfit. Because it looked very... I mean, it sparked, like, some love of, like, the Hunger Games in me. Like, aesthetically, I know this movie will be nothing like the Hunger Games. And that Jin Erso is nothing like Katniss. Like, I know that. Um, but aesthetically, that look looked very Mockingjay. And I was like, I'm into that. No, I, I totally I, I love that last shot. I think it's a I think it's an amazing uh, part of the, the trailer. And I think that um, I don't know. I think that with 
what we're what we're getting from her. We're getting like some kind of like confliction, especially with Forrest Whitaker's voiceover. Which, by the way, really excited about Forrest Whitaker. I love Forrest Whitaker, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting that they have that over there. That you know that she possibly could turn with that outfit on, and it's supposed to be a Death Star gunner. I mean, it's it was interesting to see the her in a in a New Hope garb from like nineteen seventies, looking brand new and shiny. It was. I think I think the one thing that this trailer did a great job of was giving us the New Hope era and making it look like brand new and not like a rehash or not rehash, but it made it look new and fresh without looking like the same. Does that make any sense? Well, um, and to say about sort of just how it looked visually, it, it did look a lot like the Star Wars style looked like New Hope. And I want to see what they do. That goes a little bit beyond that because this is a chance for new directors to really do some new strange things. And I do want them to still feel like Star Wars, but it'll be very interesting to see how much it does and does not feel like Star Wars. Yes. Yeah, I think it'll feel like Star Wars in the way that, like, in the EU, all the books and everything we get, like, at, at its core, it's Star Wars, but, like, you get the different author styles and the different story formats and all that kind of stuff. It'll be kind of like that. Like, we haven't experienced that with movies yet, so it's going to be interesting to actually see that happen. Um, like, it'll definitely have Ryan, not Gareth. No, <laughs> yeah, Gareth Edward. I got really confused there. It'll definitely have Gareth Edward's, like, like, directorial thumbprint on it. Um, which means it probably will have a lot more of like a modern feel to it. And it won't be acting like um, The Force Awakens in the way that it was trying to capture the same filmmaking tones that The Force Awakens did, you know, with like the transitions and all that stuff. I'm not sure it'll have that. And I'm kind of okay with that because I kind of like that sticking with the saga films and then you get like these new takes that are that will be quite new and they will be quite different. And hopefully at its core, it'll still feel like Star Wars, but it's hard to tell at this time. That's couldn't say any better myself, Seth. That's awesome. That's perfect. That's a good point about it. We will see the same kind of variety we see in books if they make so many of these story movies. Yeah. Yeah, which is what I'm hoping for. Yes. All right. Well, we have we'll have obviously we'll talk more about Rogue One. Um, we have so much to get to today. Uh, we have next the Poe comic book. Poe Dameron number one came out last week. Well, last week by our definition. A number of weeks for if you were listening to the show. Um, and obviously we had to talk about – this is our, pretty much our, our first pre-TFA, if you don't count Shattered Empire, comic book. That's canon. And we had a lot of returning characters in the book. Um I, Charles Soule is the writer. Phil Noto is the artist. Both are very good at what they do. Phil Noto is an amazing artist. I love his, his pictures in the young adult novels um, with uh, the, you know, the Weapon of a Jedi, Smuggler's Run. Like Those look beautiful. I love those pictures. Um, also, Charles Soule wrote Lando. He's writing the new Daredevil comic, which is fantastic. So I was really excited about this book. And – you know, it, it's hard. It's really hard to judge a series of comic books off one 22-page comic book, right? So um, my general impressions of the first Poe comic book were it was okay. Um, I felt like it was kind of – it set up things a little bit, which is fine. It was interesting to see the uh, Durian from uh, Shattered Empire comic book that knew uh, Poe's mom, Shara Bay, and he – was it Lulo? Yeah, it was Lulo's name. I always forget. I'm so terrible mm-hmm. with names. Um, he showed up again, 
which was interesting. He was hanging out with them, but he's not in The Force Awakens. So you kind of start, you know, putting pieces together like, okay, is this guy going to be a sacrificial lamb for the comic books? You know, so and that's not knowing anything. He doesn't. There's no spoiler. He doesn't. It, so I don't know. It's I, that's what I'm assuming right now. Um, basically, Poe gets sent on a, uh, an adventure to look for Lorzanteca. So, in obviously, in the Force Awakens, we're we're told that Poe found him, but this just seems like we're going to get on the story of how, where, you know, how he found him. And I think we stumbled onto Sap's favorite new offshoot of Star Wars, the Egg Worshippers. I uh, love them. You love, <laughs> I knew you would. I knew it. Oh my gosh! Wait, I don't think I don't think I knew of Saf's love for eggs. No, what? I, I, I don't. It's just my love for like random groups like that have no big meaning within the Star Wars thing. Like I just love random characters and things just sitting off to the side. Yes. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, because I mean they certainly they're certainly unique. Unique is one thing, um, and so it's. And by the way, I guess I should. I, I should say spoiler warning. I'm sorry. Um, so we're going to go a little more in this in the story. Basically, Poe Dameron goes into. Uh, he's looking for Lord Zanteca, and he winds up in this. Is it an asteroid? Or I'm not sure where he's at, but it, it looks. I think it's an asteroid. Um, he goes in. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, he goes into an asteroid, and he finds these egg worshippers. He's looking for Lord Zanteca. And they're like, oh, yeah, he was here. He hung out with us for a little bit. And I'm like, okay. And they don't trust him. And But they that it just, the book just seemed kind of clumsy a little bit. And I love Charles Soule. I don't want to talk smack about him because I love the guy to death. He's a great writer. So it just didn't seem – it just didn't have a great flow to me. The egg worshippers I could not get behind at all. Um I don't know about you guys, but oh, obviously Saf loved them. But um, it was just a weird. It was just weird to have like this egg there and everything. I don't know. It just didn't really, just didn't really hit with me. Uh, Megan, what? It reminded me a little bit of the. Um, uh, was it Fate of the Jedi or the series after that, where Luke and Ben Skywalker are going to try and track down Jason Solo or not track him down like physically, but they're going to see all the sites that he visited when he was during his fall to the dark side. So they go to all these different like force cults sort of. Um, and it reminded me a little of that, that Laura Santeca was visiting all these cultures that had interesting connections to the force that weren't the same way that the Jedi would. Cause remember Laura Santeca is with that church of the force. Like he's interested in this stuff. Um, but I did the plot in this one was just pretty unextraordinary. I liked the dialogue. Poe seemed perfectly in character, which meant that he called everybody buddy. He called the leader of the egg worshippers pal at least once. Um, See, I, I I couldn't get into that. No, did so. I mean, I thought it it sounded very much like his voice from The Force Awakens. Did you not think so? Well, he doesn't say. I heard him say buddy like. Once I think is when he's when he sees Finn, he's like, "Buddy," you know, and he says that. Um, Doesn't he also call BB-8 buddy or is it I, pal? I don't know if he calls him buddy, but he says something. Um, yeah, he says it at least I, one other time. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the way he talked under the comic book. As someone who has tried to write Poe for fan fiction, <laughs> um, I thought that um, Charles Saul did really well. Um, for capturing his voice, but also like it's hard with comics because people do read the characters differently a lot. 
like I real I noticed that with the Darth Vader comic, a lot of people thought that like the writer had caught Darth Vader's voice really well, whereas other people thought that they'd gotten it really wrong. And so I think that kind of can be a problem with comics sometimes. That's a good point. It's interesting that that you bring up fan fiction too, because I think that <laughs> what I find is that people usually latch onto one aspect of a character. They'll say, okay, like I don't know, uh, Poe says buddy all the time, you know, uh, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't want to think of an example that's too specific because then we just go on about that. But um, people latch onto a single trait of a character, and that is a hard thing to get away from when you're writing franchises, especially if you don't know the character super well. So I wonder if that might be he's just kind of starting out. But that said, I like it. I thought it worked. Okay. All right, Seth, do you have anything else about the egg worshippers you want to add to? <laughs> no, um, I just really like with the Black Squadron at start, um, the people that Poe's recruited to fly with him to find Los Antigua. Um, one of the people was Kare, who was in the Before the Awakening novel, um, one of the people with him there. So I thought that was cool that they brought her into the comic and then actually gave her like a, a visual character because I like it when they bring characters in from books and actually do things with them in comics a lot, especially when they're kind of smaller characters that aren't mm-hmm. important to the grand scheme of the story. I think, to be honest, and, you know, and I think the, can, the story group canon can be criticized, but also should be praised, in, you know, because they do a great job of having synergy, and I think they've worked really hard to have that be not just not I want to say obvious. They, they made it so smooth. They've done a really good job of that. And I think that my Mon Mothma example is kind of what you're kind of talking about too on a bigger scale. That was, that was more of a bigger scale. But like what you're saying, you're bringing this one character from a book into a comic book. It's that kind of just ease that I, I had no idea that was that, that it was from a book. I didn't think about it. So <laughs> I, I think – but see my point is it's cool because they're giving – they're just it's natural. They're not hitting you over the head with it, making it obvious like, hey, guess what? Blah, 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 blah. This is – you know, it's – it's more. It's coming more naturally, and I think that's. It's. It's really seeing the benefits of that, um, personally. Yeah, it's kind of like um, Major Amat. Not yeah, Major Amat, who you see in the Force Awakens. He's like the kind of President Snow looking guy. Um, he's in like a couple of the younger Rio novels. He's in Moving Target, I think, as in the framing narrative, oh, yeah. and he's also in. Um, Smuggler's Run because he's who Han Solo goes to save. And I thought that was cool because, like, it's kind of chill. Like, you don't know he's in them unless you read them. It's not a big thing. But also because I read those before I saw the movie and then when I knew Major Amart was it, like, when I heard his name or something and I was like, oh, it's him, he's here, kind of thing. Like, it adds <laughs> extra without being an important thing that you need to read or know about. It's just kind of extra layers for people who have absolutely. read the things and recognize the characters across the levels that there are. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll move on to our next topic, which I know you two are very excited about. Now, there was a excerpt from Aftermath Life Debt that I have not read. I don't really like to read isolated like chapters early just because I want to keep reading and I'll just get bummed out because I have nothing to read. But I know you two read it, so tell us what your guys' thoughts on the uh, Aftermath Life Debt example or a uh, little preview we got. Mostly, I just wanted to make sure to point out that Ray Sloan is in this book and that Ray Sloan is now a Grand Admiral. And everyone on Twitter today was exactly as excited about that as they should be because Sloan is great. And I have feelings about other parts of the excerpt, but that was the most important one. Seth? I'm basically in the same boat, yeah. I just, I'm very excited about Grand Admiral Ray Sloan. <laughs> okay, so she's now a Grand Admiral. I had no idea. Wow. 
I don't, yeah. She that, is. And that's interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we like see when that happens. Like that, she was an admiral in, in Aftermath. Right, right. Yeah. But she was one of the people. I, Go ahead. Sorry. No, I kind of assume that um, it'll happen in the gap between the two, potentially. So she'll be an admiral. At the end of that, she goes to see that fleet admiral, the mysterious fleet admiral. And then the mysterious fleet admiral promotes her to grand admiral. And so in life, oh, right, life right, right. she is a grand admiral, potentially. There's a lot of admirals in that sentence, but I think that might be how it works out. <laughs> I um, think, yes, that that clears it up. How many admirals? Too many. <laughs> no, okay, all right. um, no it, it, it's funny because I don't uh, – I don't know. I, I, I like Ray Sloan a lot. I think she's a really cool character. The fact she's a Grand Admiral is interesting. Um, do we know how many years this takes place in, in from Aftermath to Life Debt? Do we know? Is it, is it like almost – is it all over the timeline? I mean do we have any idea? Um, I'm not sure whether it's immediately after. I, I'm not sure that's been indicated. We know that Han was on his way to Kashyyyk, but we don't know whether or not the liberation of Kashyyyk is completed or if that's part of this. So I'm I'm going to guess, and it's a slightly educated guess, that we don't know, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I'd say we don't know either, but it, I, I assume it'll be like a, a not too long after, I think, because it depends on how they do it. Because at the end of the last book, the, the main group, like Nora and her group of like found family kind of people got given a mission to go do something. And then in this book, it looks like they're doing a mission and it could be that they're doing that mission or it could be that they completed that one. And now they're like, go do some more missions. So who knows really? <laughs> I got yeah. So I'll end on this. Um, do we know, or is the writing style as the same, a kind of abrasive style that people had some issues with um, in the last one, or is it just a little more toned down, a little more traditional? It's very similar to what it was before. I would say it might even be more choppy, but that's taking one excerpt versus an entire book. That's true. Yeah. Okay. I feel, well, it's, sorry. Um, An author kind of has a way they write. And so they can kind of change style across genres often, um, but they will still have that style. So no matter what, it'll still have that kind of Wendig type of writing to it, which you can kind of already see in the excerpt that it has. And it may be like less bizarre, maybe, like as a whole, but it'll still feel like aftermath did. Interesting. Okay. Well, that, that's you know, I, I think that I think it's cool that he's staying, you know, he's staying true, and Lucasfilm's letting him stay true to himself because obviously, if he tried to be someone different, he might it may have it may end up being worse because it's not he's not comfortable. So I think it's rather letting him do his thing. I I was kind of hit and miss with the with the style. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It just kind of dealt with it. So. I don't know. I'm excited. I mean, I love reading Star Wars, so I'm excited to read any of these books. I'm excited to see what happens to Kashyyyk after Return of the Jedi with liberation on Kashyyyk. Like, what, that's what I'm honestly most excited to find. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One thing, one thing I found interesting is that in the excerpt that we get, um, there's kind of a hint that the life debt is something that Han owes to Chewie rather than it being, you know, a Wookiee life debt that like we had in the old expanded universe. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Wow, that's they imply that, huh? That is very yeah. I kind of I don't remember the exact line, but it basically says like Han needs to wipe off this debt with Chewie or something like that. It's something similar to that. So it's basically saying that Han has a debt to Chewie, a life debt to Chewie of some kind. Interesting. Hmm. Oh, there was some discussion of that, but I, I'm really more interested in what's going on on Kashyyyk. I, I presume they're liberating it from the Empire, but there are also there was uh, the Trandoshans were always sort of harrying Kashyyyk and is Kashyyyk going to become part of the new Republic? I'm interested in that stuff. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right. Well, I'm excited for life that it comes out this summer. We'll definitely be talking about that when it comes out. We're going to go on to our next main topic, which is yes. twilight of the Rebe- rebellion, twilight of the rebellion, twilight of the apprentice star Wars rebels. Well, that was the last episode of the season. Um, we, a lot, it's a very heavy, heavy episode. A lot happened. Mostly good, in my opinion. I'm very curious what your guys' opinions of the show was. Um, so I'll start with you, Megan. You, you write for Den of Geek for kind of recap the episodes, review them. What was your kind of general take of uh, Twilight of the Apprentice? So in general, I really enjoyed it. I, um, the ending was very polarizing and, the ending was not what I would have preferred, but I thought that what they did with Ezra and Kanan was really good. There was a lot of discussion throughout this episode about sort of what it meant to seek justice versus seeking revenge and how Kanan was and was not a good teacher and how Darth Maul was and was not a good teacher. I liked the Darth Maul a lot. I was less happy with what how it ended with Ahsoka, but it, good finale, decent season. A lot to talk about with Ahsoka. Sav, thoughts on the uh, last episode? Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I really, really liked it. I am on the opposite side of the polarizing thing to Megan that I actually quite liked what they did with Ahsoka at the end. But that's just kind of what I'm like with those things. I did really like Maul and Ahsoka as teachers and how Ezra kind of dealt with both their lessons being sim- similar in a lot of ways, but also different. But having that kind of nuance, he didn't understand because he's a kid. Um, I also really liked what they did with Kanan, and I found it interesting just how quickly they took out all the Inquisitors, like, just just like that. It was kind of jarring, and, yeah, I, I loved the episode, basically. I really liked the season, but this the finale was really good. Well, I hate saying, I hate being the party pooper of the whole general Rebels audience of Star Wars fans. I know a lot of people love the show. I like Rebels. I didn't really think the season was the, the greatest. I thought I was okay I thought I was really hit and miss, but this episode was incredible. Um, I loved it. I loved it from the start. I loved the, the mythology of the Force, of the Sith, and of the Jedi. That's what always gets me going in Star Wars. Like it's, It gets, always gets me really excited. 
I just want to learn as much as I can. And we got we got to learn a little bit and see a, you know a Sith temple, a Sith holocron, and seeing Darth Maul in the episode and the, the the parallels they did with Yoda, which at first it almost started to bug me. I'm like, eh, this is a little too close to home, you know, a little too obvious. But I started thinking, I'm like, no, it was the way Sam Witwer played it was so perfect, you know. Um, he played, and as uh, he mentioned that the the actor who, play, who voiced him, that as he talked and and more and more with Ezra, the more confident he got, the stronger he got in how he talked. It was just kind of a cool to see him kind of progress to where eventually. When he sees the Inquisitors, he's he's back to full confidence. He's ready to destroy people. Um, I loved everything about this episode, um, except for the ending, which we'll get to in a second. Um, I love I loved it, and I think that it was cool to see Inquisitors kind of get taken off the map a little bit. To be honest, I think that was something we needed to see. The pro- my main problem with with Rebels is that being on XD. It, it has to cater to a certain audience, you know, that's at least how Disney felt. And one of the things that, that you know, you're not, you can't be violent. You're not going to go over the top with, with certain things like, um, uh, what do you want to say? Uh, you know, violence or whatnot, you know, you can't, you can't go too dark. And this was a dark episode, so don't get me wrong. But one of the things I appreciate, appreciate about George Lucas is that in the Clone Wars, he never meant out to, he never sent out to make it a, PG uh, or PG-13. He kind of referenced both of them a little bit when he went went out to make the Clone Wars. He just wanted to make Star Wars. And and, and I think Star Wars always blurs that line of being really dark and kind of more more towards older viewers to slash to younger viewers. I think it's meant to blur those lines so you can – the child in you or your younger child – can really start to learn through this and, and see, and, and it's kind of like their gateway of being growing up a little bit. It's a fairy tale, and obviously these fairy tales are always meant to, you know, are meant to kind of give you a, a story or some a lesson. And so I think that that's what Star Wars is meant to be. And I think that it's when you when you cramp it into a younger audience general feeling, you know, it, it's hard to make. It's hard to reach that. It's hard to reach its potential is what I'm trying to say. And I think that this episode's a great example of that where we get a little bit darker and it just feels right. It just feels – and I'm not saying it has to go full on dark and kill people every episode, but it just felt right to me. It felt like Star Wars. It felt like Ezra was getting a lesson in life as, as we see how he turns out in the end of the episode where it shows him clutching a Sith holocron. So, I mean – I just like the idea that we're getting – we got a little bit darker and I got to see Rebels of what I think that it needs to be a little bit more of. And we have consequences. You know, For every action, there's a reaction. And when you do – when you make an action, there's always going to be some kind of consequence. Sometimes a positive consequence. Sometimes there's a negative consequence. And I think you saw that in this episode. And then there's lots of great lessons for kids to learn in this and awesome, awesome action. So um, – we're going to talk about Maul. I know, Megan, you love Darth Maul, and I love Darth Maul too. What was your thoughts when he referenced himself only as Maul, no Darth? I mean, it was it was a good moment. I'm not surprised because he's become so disillusioned with the Sith and taken himself so far away from the Sith. The part that really caught me was that he's forgotten his real name because part of me was like, I just want to, I just want them to give him a canon name because it would. 
it would let that question rest. Not a lot of people are asking that question anymore, but once upon a time they were. And now with his backstory revealed in the Clone Wars, it could actually be sort of explained, but it's Andrew tells it. Andrew tells it. <laughs> That's I'll his name. It. All right. All right. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks. Good. Glad we cleared that up. I love clear that up. Don't worry. I, I, that was, that was from right uh, straight from Lucasfilm. Got my sources. Um, it's interesting <laughs> that you mentioned the thing about consequences, because I would think that what differentiates any show from whether it's aimed at children or aimed at adults or good for both, because these are shows aimed at children. There's no arguing that um, is, is things like, do they do things have consequences and do characters have growth? And I had some trouble with the Clone Wars because I didn't feel that the character's growth was handled well all the time. Um, and Rebels doesn't handle it well 100% of the time either. Part of the what I liked about this episode is that we saw the sort of culmination of several characters' arcs, which was Darth Maul is now completely disillusioned about everything and just wants to fight everyone. Um, Ezra's mix of innocence and anger explain exactly why he's willing to go on with Darth Maul's plan. And we see Kanan's belief in his own, or, or sort of Kanan's relationship with the Jedi Order affect his own teaching. And those things, I thought, worked really well. Saf, thoughts on Maul? Um, I really liked Maul. I kind of used to hate him a lot because he killed Qui-Gon, so I was always like, screw this guy, I don't like him. True. Um, but after, like, the Clone Wars, I kind of got more into him because he had an interesting character arc with, like, Savage and... Sidious, um, even though I hate him for killing Satine. So I did, like, I've kind of had a love-hate relationship with Maul for a while, because every time I start liking him, he does something that I don't like. But I really liked his characterization in this. I liked that he's in a similar place to Ahsoka, and that he left, like, he's been disillusioned by the people that he grew up with and who raised him and what he thought he would be. And so he's not a Sith anymore, and he, he has this kind of negative opinion of the Sith, even though he still wants their power and, like, wants revenge, probably. Um... And I thought that was really interesting. I thought Sam Witwer played him perfectly. Amazing. And I liked seeing him fighting with the Jedi, even if he's like not mm-hmm. on their side yep. particularly. I thought that was really cool, like him against the Inquisitors and him so very against um, Darth Vader as well. I thought that was really interesting. Well, I thought it was really cool when, uh, when, when the Inquisitors show up and he says, oh, what fun. Like, he just gets all super stoked, and I, I love that. Whitmer played yeah, him. He's, uh, he's had issues with them before. Yes, yes. And it was it's interesting to see Kanan and Ahsoka and Ezra all, all together taking on these Inquisitors. And just, it was really cool to see, it was really cool to see Maul be a formidable opponent again. I mean, he's very powerful still. And I think I'm so happy that we're getting him in season three of Rebels, and that this guy is going to be um, a, the main. It sounds like it's going to be the main antagonist for the season three. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm really curious what your guys' thoughts are. The Inquisitors themselves have been kind of met with mixed results. I love the Grand Inquisitor, the original one. This season's Inquisitors, I, I, I liked Sir. Um, oh my gosh, uh, Sir, Sir Michelle Geller's uh, Inquisitor. Um, the uh, what the eighth sister, sixth sister, I don't, I don't Seven. seventh, sixth, eighth, whatever. Um, but no, <laughs> I liked I liked the design. I liked her, the voice of the character. I loved her in the, her first episode. But the the, the fifth brother, it just got kind of silly. And it's, and obviously, we're going to talk about the 
ridiculous twirling of lightsabers and saber copters yeah Yeah, i was not about that (laughs) yes whenever you not really about that yeah when just using them as as helicopters for with their lightsabers that was pretty ridiculous um so i don't that being said i wonder if 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 the writers kind of saw that on on the the wall the writing on the wall a little bit you know uh, no pun intended um you know with 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 the inquisitors and they're like you know what? We need to bring in a, a more form, formidable foe after killing off the Grand Inquisitor because the Grand Inquisitor I felt was an imposing presence. They did a great job of building that character up the first season. Um, so I'm wondering if Darth Maul is kind of brought in because the, these Inquisitors aren't just cutting it anymore. Thoughts on that? I I don't think so because generally when you're planning a story like this, you have to plan a lot more long term than that. And halfway through a season, you're like, oh, people don't like these characters. We got to kill them off again. New villain. I True. think Darth Maul was probably planned for quite a while. Um, and also in an interview Dave Filoni had, I think, with IGN potentially, I can't remember at the moment, but he said that like they do have to kill off the Inquisitors now because they're getting nearer to a new hope and they're not around then. You don't see them. Like they could be, but they're not as much of a presence as they are in Rebels. Like they're obviously around the galaxy finding like Sith temples and killing off Jedi, like that's their job. But now they're a less Jedi to kill as well. Like they, they're less essential and they'll also be a threat to Darth Vader and Darth Sidious if they decide, you know. Once they lose their purpose and they have nowhere to go, like, who who are they going to follow? Um, and so they do need to start killing them off. And I think that's part of the thing is is why they did that is because having these two characters, if they kept the Seventh Sister around for another season and built her up even more, she she could almost be a sympathetic character and they probably don't want that to happen as well. Like, she could have potentially fallen into that area. Um, and so I think it was essential that they need to die. And also to prove that, you know, like, that bad things are happening now. Like, it has yeah. gotten darker it's it's easy to kill off the Inquisitors and be like, okay, the people are going to die now without actually, you know, scaring kids and be like, oh, your main characters are going to die. Like, it it's a it's quite an easy move in that way as well. They're going to run into issues with that, with Darth Maul too, because they're going to have to kill him off at some point, and that will be a big event, the way the appearance of Darth Vader is an event. So... I'm not sure how they're going to handle that or if they're going to do more like what the Clone Wars did, which was like you bring in your big villain at the beginning of the season. And I mean, they did this with Darth Maul, have him in a couple episodes at the beginning and a couple episodes at the end. And that's it. And that's your event. Well, you know, to be fair for Clone Wars, um, you know, when they showed and again, I didn't watch it on air because um, but what I understand is in the fifth season, they put the first um they they kind of not rush, but they put these episodes out of order to put Darth Maul in the beginning instead of at the very end. Because in season four, he came at the very end. Everyone knew he was coming, and they all complained it took too long. So they what they did in the fifth season was they had these other episodes out of order, and they put them ahead of them. So and it dealt with Hondo, and Hondo had a later arc with the Jedi uh, younglings, and it kind of seemed weird because they because basically. Darth Maul and Grievous drive Hondo off and then, you know, and that's what happens in the Darth Maul episodes off the planet. And then he's on the same planet again. So they actually re had to reorder. They redid that because they didn't want to make fans wait purposefully. Hmm. So I know, I know Clone Wars did rearrange its episodes a few times, but I think my point stands that they kept him as sort of an event character because if they weren't going to have some episodes at the beginning and some at the end, they would have just put them all at the end. No, you're right, and that's, that's what I was kind of saying was they totally they they were he was meant to be 
And then I think they realize they've made a mistake. But at the same time, I think they almost made a mistake of putting Darth Vader in Siege of Lothal. Even though I love that episode, that's a fantastic. I mean, basically, this season is bookended by two amazing opening and season-ending uh, episodes. And they just, but then they kind of just in the middle, it just kind of gets lost every once in a while. But I, I'm with you that I think that they, it was meant to be an event, and that. They kind of just – they don't know what to do with it necessarily either. You know, they have these inquisitors in the in the meantime trying to like, you know, we, we'll get you next time, Gadget, kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> and, and, oh, and we'll get my Inspector Gadget reference right there. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm with you, Megan. I, I, I think the inquisitors and, and all that stuff, it's, it's Darth Maul. I hope that in the next season it's not an event when he shows up, but it's a continuous – um, what's the word? Uh Progression, excuse me. So um, we have a couple more things before we, we, we wrap up. I, I have to get to, um, which one of them is obviously a so Hang on. Wait. What? Wait. First, first. Um, <laughs> I, I have something to say about kids' shows. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Um, like for a couple of things, like because I watch a lot of children's shows because I really enjoy them. Um, I watch Steven Universe. I watched Gravity Falls before it ended. Yeah. And I watch Most a couple of, of what I watch is kids' shows. Yeah, and the thing is, like, they, they do kind of have that thing where they can't go su- super dark because, you know, they don't want to scare kids. Um, but, like, they do manage to. Like, Gravity Falls is quite a few creepy episodes. That, like, if I was a child, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is scary. Um, and Steven Universe at times gets quite dark as well. Like, it gets really dark themes. And it kind of happens slowly. It starts off quite bright and, like, happier because they can kind of bring the children in that way. And then it kind of happens very slowly. So it's not like a sudden drop of, like, oh, my God, this is awful kind of thing. Um, and I think Rebels is kind of doing that in a similar way. The Clone Wars did the same thing as well. It started off, like, not not bright, but, like, it definitely got darker near the end. If you watch the Lost Missions, like, they deal with abuse and that kind of stuff. And they get really dark, really suddenly. Um, but also that had time to grow with its audience. It, it went over, like, six years. Like, it by the time people who'd started had gotten to that point, like, it was, they, they were old enough to understand those things. And I think Rebels is kind of going to do a similar thing. The next season will be able to be a little bit darker because its audience will have grown a little bit more. Um, and it will have had that time to grow into it as well. But also, children's shows often, they have that kind of thing. The, the start of the season and like the mid-season and the end of the season has the important plot. And the episodes in between, they kind of slowly build up to it, but very slowly. Like They have little bits that lead up to it, but they don't directly have things going towards it in the same way well even adult shows don't like if you watch agents of shield like not much happens in a lot of the middle episodes of the season like it's just kind yeah. of boring if you if you don't <laughs> actually care about the characters which i didn't so that was my problem with it um but the problem is that with kids shows it they is they they have their episodes that kind of fill in the times between the big event episodes they're aimed at children which makes sense because they're children's shows and that i think is a problem a lot of people have with rebels is that they don't they go into it expecting something that's aimed for an older audience, but it's not, and it's not ever going to be. And so you've kind of got to accept that it's either going to be this children's show that is going to have lighter episodes that will be a bit more funny and a bit more ridiculous because they're not aimed at adults. So they're not going to be the kind of adult filler episodes we get, which ends up with episodes like, you know, Fight or Flight, which is my favorite episode of Rebels. I like that and episode. Other things like that. It's a good episode. And I really like season two because I think I have that similar thing that I'm used to children's shows doing that. And this is what I expect from them. And so I enjoyed the episodes I got because you also get the small character development. Like it's very subtle. And, it's, and it also sometimes doesn't even happen. And you get the slow, the very slow progression, the subtle progression towards what's happening. Like if you watch season two all in a row, like I think if you marathoned it, you'd see the kind of escalation towards the finale a bit more than when it's a weekly thing and you don't really yeah. notice it as much. Um, but that is the problem again. Like 
I'm happy. I really love the fact that Rebels is for children. I like the fact that children do have a show that's just for them because I would not, I would not let my nephew watch the Clone Wars at the moment because of how mm. it progresses and where it got. And he won't be watching it year by year. He'll be watching it all in one go. And he's too young for that. Rebels, he could go into a bit earlier on and he could watch that and enjoy that without mm. it being too adult for him. And I really like that. I enjoy that because he is too young for those things. And there are children too young for those things that do love Star Wars. And I love the fact that Rebels gives them something that they can watch. And I do kind of resent adults that say that Rebels needs to be more like an adult show because they want to enjoy it more. I'm like, no, let the kids enjoy it because we already have the movies. We have everything else. And I like that there's one thing that children have. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to act like it needs to be tremendously darker. I think it's funny, Saf, because and it just shows that everyone grows up in different households and, and different ideas. My parents, especially my mom, very liberal with, with letting me watch whatever I wanted, almost to a fault, to be honest. Yeah, same. But right. And so – but to me, <laughs> I, I really latched on to the darker stuff and because it just it just made me think more. you know. And I think Star Wars is a great example. Like I saw Empire Strikes Back when I was really, really young. I, I must – those are my earliest memories in my life, which I was probably four or five years old, watching Empire Strikes Back and the Wampus scene, Darth Vader. And it definitely left the impact and it was dark. And there is some, I mean, granted, I know there's some stuff in Clone Wars that can pretty, is really dark. And I, I totally understand. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a gateway for, for, for kids to kind of grow too. And I think that's what makes Star Wars special. So I, I'm with you that I, you couldn't just make a an adult Star Wars cartoon. I think you'd be neglecting a gigantic part of just business wise and just I think just on audience wise and just loving the show you just gotta I think to me I, I wish Disney XD did a better job of bringing it as a family aspect whereas I agree with you it's aimed at children and I wish it was aimed at more family even though it is on even though I think this last episode was a great example of what it could be it was dark but it also it kept it was also still light for kids so I just wanted to balance that a little bit better, and 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 also I enjoy kid things too. I don't I don't I don't always want to generate things at kids and make it on the same level because I think you're you don't want to, I don't want to dumb it down for them either because because kids are smarter than that they really are and I think kids gravitate towards things that really push their boundaries because they are smarter than what some people give them credit for, and so I, so I go ahead. Megan. I'm having some trouble. With this, because, I mean, to me, and while we're disclosing this, I grew up in a very restrictive household when it comes to what I was allowed to watch, um, which for, for good or ill, like Star Wars is for kids, really. Um, uh, some of them are rated PG-13, but there's nothing in there. You know, y young kids watch them, so, and that's not really, like, I'm, I'm not even really making a point about quality or about Rebels here. I'm just like, I think that's important to take into account that this is all we're talking about kids shows, you know, and, and kids movies, really. Yeah. But, I mean, the books aren't for kids a lot of the time. You get the younger reader books, but the books aren't for kids. That's um, correct. Yeah. They're, and they're some of the comics definitely are for kids. And no, I'm I'm very conscious. Of, like, I, I also grew up in a very liberal household. I watched Resident Evil when I was like eight or something. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> um <laughs> And I can actually remember, like, when I was younger, like, watching certain things on Cartoon Network, and they, like, I, it would be later things. So they got dark, and they kind of stuck with me a lot of the time. Like, I can kind of remember them now. I was kind of traumatized as a child. 
But I'm very conscious of, like, I'm okay with that stuff. Like, I personally, I'm like, okay, whatever. I was a child, I watched this movie, that's fine. Um, but my sister is very careful about what she lets my nephew watch. Like, she's, she's very conscious of, like, how much violence is on TV and that kind of stuff. And so she's not letting him watch Star Wars yet, even though he's sick. And I'm like, I watched Star Wars and I was like, great, it's fine. Yeah, but exactly. I do notice that she she is very conscious of, like, how it's affecting him and, like, who it'll, who it'll what it will make him think about. And so I am... Like, I am very liberal with that kind of stuff as well, but I also see why other people are less Absolutely, liberal with those yeah. things of it as well. And I mean, like like I said, it'll grow into the kind of maturity that the Clone Wars had. Mm-hmm. Like, every show does. Like, Ben 10, whatever. Like, any child's show, it starts off quite light and, like, kind of ridiculous and silly, and then it gets more intense as it goes on. And that's ha- just how they go. And that's what happened with the Clone Wars, too. The same thing happened. It grew up with its audience. And and, and, and like and when I say Star Wars for kids, you know, I don't disagree with that at all. I And see, I guess my terminology, I always looked at Star Wars as for families. For families to sit down together that everyone can enjoy, not just kids. You know, because I, I think Star Wars is universal. I think, you know, George, I think George Lucas intended it to make it for young people, as he would say. And I think when I look back on it, like some of my best family moments are watching Star Wars, Star Wars with my dad. You know, you know, my dad and I don't have a lot in common, and we were able to. You know, my dad loved watching, you know, fun science fiction action stuff. So we used to always, he used to always watch that stuff with me and laugh and and whatever. So I always look to it as not, and I don't think there's a wrong or a right to this by any means. I'm just saying, I think for me, I just think it's meant for families, and I wish that. I just wish XD would acknowledge that and make it a little more uh, adult. So anyway, we talked a lot about this and it's a great subject. I think it's awesome to talk about. Um, let's talk about two quick things. One probably won't be so quick, but the first one will be Kanan. Which I, I, for one, it was a little surprised they blinded him because I was at this point thinking they're never going to kill him off. And they, they did the next best – they didn't kill him off, but they did the next best thing by making him blind – I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure where they're going to go with it. I think he still needs to go at some point because Jedi don't need their eyesight, so to speak. Now he's basically Daredevil, you know, which is cool, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued where they're going to go with it, but I'm curious what you guys what you guys all think. Saf, thoughts on Blind Kanan? I really like it because I am very vocal about my dislike for people just killing off characters. I find it very boring and very uncreative. Um so I really like that they actually did this because I like it more breaking down the characters themselves rather than killing the characters and giving them massive things they have to work through. And you got to remember that Kanan isn't a full Jedi. He never would have mastered this stuff. He was just a Padawan. So it's something that he would have trained with and he would know, but like completely losing his sight. Like um, there was Tal in the Jedi Apprentice series um, who was like Qui-Gon's friend slash lover kind of person. And she was blind and she had to, she was a full Jedi master and she still had to work through it and work to the point where she could live with her blindness and was okay with it. And so for Kanan to do this as someone who was just a Padawan and is now a teacher, like he's got so much responsibility already with the rebellion. And now he's got to deal with not being able to see. And I, I'm going to find it really interesting seeing his growth through that and his way of working through that and whether or not like it could make him stronger or it could make him weaker. Absolutely. Megan, thoughts on Blind Kanan? It was it was a surprise, and I think it's a, a really, really good compromise between outright killing him and just leaving him fine. It's a full it's a area to deal with, but it's also one that's uniquely suited to his abilities as a Jedi. So I think it was a really good call. 
Yeah, it was a. I, I think it's fitting that Maul was the one that blinded him. I think that was really cool, um, showing how deadly Maul still is. Um, I was I was surprised. I was surprised they blinded him. So yeah, I'm with I'm with, I'm with you guys. It was it was it was the right call, I think. But but Saf, you are remember they did knight him a few episodes before. Remember in the Jedi Temple? Yeah. That I, yeah. I agree, I'm with you. I, mean, I don't I, I don't like, like that either. Writing. No, I know I'm with you. But the, but that but I think for I remember the um, the online uh, show Rebels Recon. They had they they're talking in as if he was a Jedi now. Like that was like officially yeah. Yoda making him a Jedi, which I wasn't. I'll be honest, I'm not keen on that. To use your <laughs> use well, your I mean, phrase, he kind of worked towards it. Yeah, but I just I don't like how does Yoda manipulating this whole man? That's a whole other episode we can do. Just I'm on just that shroud of darkness episode. Um, <laughs> but I'm with you. I just I don't only really consider him a Jedi. Still, I'll be honest. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sticking to it. Um, well, it's kind of similar that Luke becomes a Jedi in the end of Return of the Jedi. Like he he becomes a Jedi. He doesn't get formal training. He ditches his training to go save his friends. Like Kanan's kind of the same is that he, he got enough formal training and now he's worked through the rebellion and worked with Ezra. So I would consider him a Jedi knight. Um, personally, I would consider him a full Jedi, but also, like I said, like Tal, she was a Jedi master and she still struggled with her blindness. I think, yeah, it'll be (laughs) like, it's not an easy thing even for a Jedi to deal with. Like you could say, yeah, he'll be like, Daredevil, but Daredevil also grew up learning that stuff by the no, time he became true. a superhero. That's true. Like he he was used to it. Like it was part of who he was. This is a very new thing. Like it'd be like losing a limb or something. Like it's not easy to just suddenly lose this part of yourself and not have it anymore. Especially something like sight, which is so important. Okay. All right. My contribution to this is gonna be quick and it's just gonna be I believe that he did become a Jedi Knight in his vision and that it's well within the bounds of Star Wars of how the force works, one might want to say, to have him become a knight through a vision. I because it's it's his trial, which has a mental aspect to it as well as a physical aspect, and he um, dealt with that mental aspect through that vision. So I think he's good to go. To quote your guys' favorite Star Wars character, that's not how the force works. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Anyway, we're, we're going to end on this last topic. Um, with uh, Ahsoka, obviously we got the Vader versus Ahsoka fight, which was I thought really well done. Is what they kind of you know it, I felt that it was an appropriate amount of time they fought. I know that sounds kind of silly to, to talk about, but I was kind of fearing that it'd be like a second and that was it. I felt it was a legitimate saber match that was awesome and. When she damages the helmet, we hear both uh, James Earl Jones and. Um, Oh my gosh, um, I'm forgetting his name. I usually I know this guy's name. Oh my gosh, uh, Matt Latner, uh, Latner. Sorry, excuse me, Matt Latner. Uh, their voices together, fantastic. Obviously, we you know there's a, there's we don't really know what happened to Ahsoka, but we do get lots of hints, and there's been a lot of hints being talked about online by Ashley Eckstein herself and by Dave's wife. Um, we've had the story group people chime in a little bit about the, the, the bird owl at the end. Um, before we talk about what ultimately the fate is, your thoughts on everything on Ahsoka and Nian Saf. What are, what's your thoughts? Um, I have a lot of thoughts about Ahsoka because, you know, I love Ahsoka. And I've talked a lot about this because people, like, I've talked beforehand, I talked a lot about it. And so afterwards, everyone knew what I was talking about. Um, but 
I didn't want Ahsoka to die because I thought that would have been a waste of her character and terrible writing, basically, was my opinion. And I see why people would disagree with that. So I'm really glad that, like, it was kind of left open, like, she could be anywhere. She could be in any state. We don't know. And I agree with you. I thought it was a good amount of time of them fighting. I thought I really liked how it was done. But I also really like endings without closure. Like, like there's some closure. There's enough closure if you, like, look at the hints and put it together. And, like, I like it because it gives me a chance to think about it afterwards and kind of look at it from different directions and figure it out. And so I liked what they did with Ahsoka a lot. And I don't think she will be in Rebels again. They basically made that clear that she's not going to come back. I want to know what they'll do with her because I'm really curious what kind of state of mind she's going to be in after her hero and her mentor and her kind of father figure, like the person she thought was like the, the biggest hero of the galaxy after finding out that he was like this evil who's done so much bad things, so many bad things. He's the guy who killed the Jedi and like, did all the stuff like that that would not put you in a good place it would kind of break down part of you because something you believed in so strongly has kind of fallen apart and so i i'm curious where they'll take her in that direction and like why they walked away i'm okay with not seeing their conversation or what happened because i like to think about it and i it kind of would take away from kanan and ezra to have just swapped to them doing that because it's not important to rebels in my opinion um and so seeing her walk away at the end, like down into Malachor, was just, it, it was really powerful to me. Megan? I did not like the ambiguity so much. Uh, I wanted answers. I wanted to see what exactly happened between her and Vader. And I've, I've said this before, but um, Dave Filoni said in an interview that putting too much emphasis on the Vader and Ahsoka fight would have distracted from Rebels. My thought is it's going to distract anyway. You might as well have a conclusion. Um, I wanted to be able to say, okay, this is what happened. Let's talk about that rather than we don't know what happened. What are we going to talk about? And I think it is as as pe- more people have looked at it and analyzed it, it's pretty clear that she's alive. Um, so there's that, I guess. But I was not really satisfied by the ending because I felt that if you're going to go, if you're going to do this, you got to go big. And they kind of went vague instead. Yeah. I, I'm with you guys that I, I think that I'm, I'm kind of with both of you. I, I'm now that I've gotten more peace about what happened to Ahsoka. I can kind of deal with the amb- and I oh, can't say the word, the mysteriousness, excuse me, um, <laughs> of, of what happened with her. I don't think that – I think what's happened to her is it seems really – what, what, what we're hearing anyway from, you know, again, from Ashley Eckstein herself, from Dave Filoni's wife, and from Matt Martin, that the colors of the bird represent – it seems they're all pointing towards the sister of from the Mortis trilogy – and we all know from the Mortis trilogy, she transferred her life force into Ahsoka to save her life. Now, what that means, we don't know because essentially she's stuck on Malachor. So, you know, so whoever tramp goes to Malachor, there's like a speck of light in this massive amount of darkness of the dark side, which is kind of a cool idea, right? So if, that, if that's the, really quick, if that's what happened to her, because maybe that's not what happened, I don't know. But if that's what happened to her, that's pretty cool. And that's what seems like that's Ashley Eckstein's theory. Um, the colors of the bird match the sister. Matt Martin had mentioned that. That's not by accident. I mean, it's, it's they're heavily saying that's what's going down. 
I'm kind of I'm going towards that hole as well, the rabbit hole. So yeah. I, I'm I'm with it. I love that. If that's the case, then I think that's awesome, and I'm very curious to see what happened to her if they ever do go back to it. That yeah. would certainly solve one of my biggest problems with the Mortis uh, episodes, which was that they didn't really seem to have consequences. So that would be a consequence, but I still want to know how she survived that fight or whether she defeated Vader or what actually happened in that temple. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get that at some point. Um, it does kind of suck that we didn't get it then, but I also kind of, I do, it does suck not getting those answers, but I do understand it because the show doesn't tend to follow beyond Ezra or Canon or people within the ghost. And so to, and because Ahsoka's never had like, whenever Ahsoka leaves, basically it kind of follows her except for that one time that we follow her to, um, when she found that child in the force, but like when she wanders off, she's like, I need to find out some things. Like she just disappears and we don't find out more from that. And it kind of fits with the conventions of the series that when it closes on Ahsoka and Vader, we don't see any more with them, which does suck for fans that want answers with them, but it also makes sense within the series to a point. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. I'm going to be honest, but I do agree with you, Paul, like with that theory, I really like it. Like that's the theory I'm with is that she's kind of become some sort of like, you know, the daughter within the real world on Malachor. And I really like that. And I really hope that is actually what they're doing. Absolutely. All right, guys. I think we're, I think that's a good way to end the show. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, Megan, where can people find you? People can find me at Den of Geek and at, at, that's a lot of ads. Sorry about that. Blog full of words on Twitter. And Saf, where can people find you? Um, you can find me at notsafwork.com or you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. Excellent. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. You can find me at Paul. Uh, I'm Paul, obviously. Um, you can find me at Twitter at Herman22 with two N's slash AKA Pthug. And you can also follow the Blaster Cannon Twitter handle at Blaster Cannon Pod. So go ahead and add us on there and we'll keep you updates, interact, have fun. So, yeah, again, thank you so much for all everyone's support. We really appreciate it. We'll be back hopefully less than a month and we'll have more stuff to talk about. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>